is, or this weekend is a special weekend. It is MLK weekend, right? Um, the day we celebrate the birth of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And fun fact about uh, Dr. King, if you're new to Redeemer, if you're new to the community, um, our church is actually located in the community, in the neighborhood where the Kings lived, where they raised their children. Um, our old building over on the corner of Sunset and Magnolia was actually just one block away from their house, um, which is still the house that the Kings own. And um, if I'm not mistaken, Drew, Dr. King's car is still lying like in state in the garage there. Um, so it's a fantastic, um, pretty cool history there from where, where um, our old church building was. We're about a mile away from it, but it's still technically the same area. And just a, just a little, a little um, news, you can drive by and check it out. Don't try to go to the house. Because from what I understand, there is a secret security guard that will pop up and stop you dead in your tracks. Okay, it's, it's private property, it's not, it's not public in that sense. But it's cool to drive by and see it. But with this being MLK weekend, I wanted to take a moment to just share a thought about MLK, something that occurred to, to me as I was studying particularly for this sermon. Um, it's really cool, in my young life, I've been able to speak to two particularly contemporaries of Dr. King. Uh, one of them was actually Dr. King's lawyer, um, Dr. King's father's lawyer, and the pastor of, um, that Simpson Street Church? Reverend Hairston. What church is that? What church is that? Simpson Street uh, Church of God, right? Church of Christ. Simpson Street Church of Christ, Reverend Hairston, who was actually Dr. King's father's lawyer, and another lady who was the mother of a friend of mine from a CrossFit gym I used to go to. And um, that lady, when she told me that she actually was friends with the Kings, went to school with the Kings, I was enamored. And I was like, oh, man, do you have any stories about the Kings? She says, well, not really outside of like riding on a school bus and stuff. She said, but my mom, my mom will have some stories. And she said, my mom comes to the gym every once in a while. And so one day I walked in the gym and her mom happened to be there. And I was super excited. I ran right up to her mom and I said, um, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Leon, yada, yada, your daughter told me that you knew the Kings and everything, and uh, I'm just wondering, like, you know, what, you know, you have any stories about the Kings? And this was an older lady, she was very sassy, very feisty, and um, she goes, uh, I said, so, you know, what, what, what was it like being with the Kings? And she goes, um, you know, Coretta, she would be, she would ask us to to come over and, and help us open up all the bags of mail that they got when, when, when Martin was out of town. And I told her, no, because uh, I got my own kids to take care of, you know. <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking, like in shock for a moment, like this woman just talked about the kings, like they were just people, you know, like they were just normal. And it was just so interesting to have her speak about this, in my opinion, and and rightfully so, a larger-than-life person, a larger-life family in these very ordinary terms. And as I think about that story, and I think about who we're talking about today in, in, in John the Baptist, one of the things that comes to mind is the great cost of pursuing mission, right? The great cost of being faithful to the mission that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. And one of the things you don't think about with Dr. King is, yeah, we think about the cost of his life, literally, and that is immense. But think about the fact that it cost his family a certain level of normalcy, right? It, it cost his family a certain level of just being able to be like the other neighbors in the community, 
you know. And we don't often think about the cost in this way to somebody like him. And I think it's important, even as Jesus tells us, for us to consider the cost of us being faithful to mission in our own lives. Amen? And if there's anybody who understood the great cost of being faithful to the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ, it was John the Baptist. Right? It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was committed to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and as the Messiah, the Savior of Israel and of the whole world. And my prayer for us this morning is as we take a look at the mission of John the Baptist, that we would see the mission of the Big C Church, right, of which we're all a part of, and therefore the mission of all of our lives as followers of Christ. Amen? Amen? And so... I want us, and this is the main idea of our passage, my prayer for us is that we would see that our mission as the church is to reveal Jesus to the world. Our mission as the church, as followers of Christ, is to reveal Jesus to the world. And so, that was that, that's a slide, did you get that one? It might be out of order, I'm sorry. And so we are going to read from John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. Um, we're going to pray together, and then we are going to jump in. So John chapter 1, verses 29 through 42. It reads, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon to tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas which, when translated, is Peter. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in your house again this Sunday morning. Lord, I thank you so much for your mercy, your grace and kindness that you would choose to to share your holy word with me and then through me to your people. 
Father, I pray in your mercy, Lord God, that you would grant that your word would come forth through the power of Holy Spirit with a great deal of clarity, with conviction, and Lord, that you would cause it to be effective in the hearts and the minds of every one of your people here this morning. Lord God, I pray that through your word this morning, you would help us be a people on mission. You would light the fire in us, Lord, that we would proclaim Jesus with our word and with our lives to this watching and dying world. Father, make us passionate about what you are most passionate about. Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise because indeed you are worthy, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to take a look at this picture right here. This is what we call an icon. An icon is essentially a picture of a deceased, a, a passed on member of the church that's highly regarded. Depending on what tradition you come from, we would call them a saint, right? Um, so this would be an icon uh, 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 of, of who we would call, of, of John the Baptist. They would say Saint John the Baptist. And one of the cool things about church history, brothers and sisters, is that there's a much longer period in the church where the gospel was told through art versus words. And everything about the pictures and icons that they would use to, to, to um, communicate the gospel, to communicate the story of the Lord Jesus Christ and the prominent figures in the story, every aspect of it meant something. And so when we look at this icon of John the Baptist, we see how the Gospels portrayed John, all depicted in this story, right? For example, you'll notice on his right side, you'll see that kind of hair, like that, that's the camel hair that he wore, right? He wore a skin, um, you know, camel hair and, and, and just other aspects of it. But the thing that's most interesting that stands out the most to you is what? The head, right? The fact that he's carrying a head. Now, whose head is that? It's his head. He's carrying his own head. If you're familiar with the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptist, because of his faithfulness to the mission, because he refused to stop preaching truth, particularly to King Herod about having his brother's wife, which was unlawful and ungodly, he lost his head. Why I love this particular picture about John the Baptist is because I think this is a beautiful depiction of the overcoming of the, 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 the victory of those who put their faith in Christ. Through Christ, John has overcome even his own beheading. Maybe my sister could sign it better than I said it. I don't know. I said through Christ, John has overcome his own beheading. Through Christ, John has received victory over that which was meant to stop the mission of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, listen to this. We will triumph over whatever takes us out of this world through the Lord Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, I had to ask you guys to drink some coffee. It's still there. But before we get into the story of this passage and speaking about John the Baptist, I thought that it would be helpful for us to answer a couple of questions just for the sake of context. Um, 
one of the questions I thought would be helpful is to answer the question, because we're talking about John the Baptist, but there's a John who also writes the story. So it may be a little bit of confusing. Why is John the Baptist talking about himself may be a question. So let's clarify that really quickly. Um, the John who writes this book or this gospel is not the same John the Baptist. He is John the Apostle the follower of the Lord, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it's also believed in the Gospel of John, he's the one who's referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loves. And it's also believed that he's one of the two disciples that were following John the Baptist and leaves and goes and follows Jesus. And one of the reasons we believe that is because of this clue that's given here where John the Apostle tells us that they follow Jesus at the 10th hour or at 4 p.m., and it's likely that they knew that, that kind of specificity in terms of the time because he was there, right? He, he, was, he knew because he was like, oh, it was about 4 p.m. when we left and followed Jesus. So either way, that's John the Apostle. It's not the same John the Baptist. But the second question is, why does John the Apostle and Gospel writer say so much about John the Baptist in this opening chapter of his book? And it's fairly abrupt. He goes into talking about Jesus and then quickly switches to John the Baptist and John the Baptist's kind of defense of him not being the Messiah, but coming to reveal the Messiah. So why does he go into that story? Well, it's believed that by the time John writes this gospel, which is the last of the gospels to be written, okay, by, by, by a fairly large margin, John the Baptist of the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John is the last to be written. And it's believed that by this time, there's a rumor circulating that John the Baptist was a or, or even the messianic figure that Israel had been waiting for instead of Jesus. And so John the apostle, the gospel writer, wants to come right out of the gates, right, correcting and addressing this mistake up front. He wants to make sure that his readers know that John the Baptist, by his own confession, was not the Messiah, but was he who came to prepare the way for the Messiah, to herald the coming of the Messiah. And this is why in verse 20, right before our passage, John the Apostle writes, he says, he, speaking of John the Baptist, did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. Okay? So is this some helpful background for you? We feel like we got some tracks to run on? All right. So with all that said, for me personally, studying about John the Baptist has been very edifying um, as we've talked through this epiphany season, because I feel like what we see in John the Baptist's life is so much about what it means to live faithfully as a follower of Christ in, the, in, in, in this world. And here's the thing about John the Baptist, okay? John the Baptist was by no means a perfect person, okay? John the Baptist, like the rest of us, was broken, had his sins, um, had his frailties, even had his idiosyncrasies, right? Which is why I think the Gospels tell us about the way he dressed and his diet and things like that, right? He was a somewhat strange individual, right? However, in summation of John's life, Jesus gives the highest praise to him that he gives of anyone else in all of Scripture, right? Well, from that point back, he gives the highest praise. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says of John, he says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. 
And so what made John the Baptist so great in the eyes of Jesus? Why does he give John such high praise? Well, I think the answer is summed up in John's mission to reveal Jesus, the Messiah, to a world that so desperately needed him. And it's that he was so unwaveringly faithful to the mission. He was unwaveringly faithful to the mission. And I think that John the Baptist, a lot like Dr. King, who we discussed earlier, personified this idea of faithfulness, which is enduring faithfulness, enduring perseverance in following the mission, in following the Lord Jesus Christ, despite brokenness and despite even the danger of our own peril. John personified this. He embodied mission. He embodied kingdom mission in a way, brothers and sisters, that I think Jesus desires all of us to embody mission. And indeed, John embodied the par excellence mission that I think all Christ followers are to pursue. And that mission is this, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ to a watching and a dying world. And I want to acknowledge, brothers and sisters, that we talk about this, the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to acknowledge that if you hear these things and you feel ill-equipped, you feel like this may be an insurmountable goal, I just want you to know that we are, you are in good company this morning. You are in good company. And it's important for us to realize, as John did, that the task of saving people is Jesus' work, not ours. Like John, we can only reveal Jesus to others, and then we have to leave that saving work up to him. Amen? But how is this done? How is this revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ done to people? Well, like John, first thing I think we have to do is we have to proclaim Jesus without reservation. Proclaim Jesus without reservation. In verses 29 through 30, John, the writer of the gospel, John, John the apostle, he tells that John the Baptist sees Jesus coming and he proclaims, he says out loud, without reservation, he says, there he is. There he is. What old song does that put in, put in your mind right there? Yeah. Oh, who said it? Woo, there it is. Who said there it is? That's what John said. John said, woo, there he is. It's the Bible. That song, how many of y'all knew that was a Christian, that was a gospel song? Y'all didn't know that. Y'all didn't know. He said, there he is, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sins of the world. Without reservation, John declares, there is the Messiah, the one that I've been telling you about, the one that we have been waiting for. And when I say that, that we, like John, should proclaim Jesus without reservation, I am not saying that we don't have some intimidation, we don't have some nervousness, we don't have some, some, you know, some, some fear when we're, when we're sharing, because that's just not real, right? We will feel intimidated. You guys may not know this, but, but for every preacher in here, I could tell you this, that just about every time we assume to proclaim the Word of God, our knees are knocking. This is, a, this is a weighty thing, and we must trust God the Holy Spirit to do it. There is no such thing as proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ without some level of nervousness. 
without some great acknowledgement of there to be a, of there being a need for a power to work this thing greater than us. That's normal. But what I mean when I say without reservation, I say that we share Jesus without the assumption that sharing Jesus or sharing the gospel is unnecessary or arbitrary or in any way ineffective. Put positively, brothers and sisters, we share Jesus with the full confidence that it is through him and his proclamation that people get saved. Recently, I heard a clip from one of Jackie Hill Perry's talks where she said, she said, when we stop believing that the power of ministry is in the gospel, we start developing methods of our ministry instead of praying. We start trusting our strategies instead of the spirit. And she said that thing, it struck me right here. It struck me right here, man. It was so powerful and convicting. How often have I assumed that if we just did church a little better, right? If when we sung, we just sung a little more gospel-y, right? If we just dressed a certain way or if we just did whatever it was a little more right, then people will get saved, Right? If the music was this way, if this was, this, then finally our neighbors would come through those doors and have this amazing encounter with Jesus. Well, friends, that's not what John thought. That's not what John thought. What's interesting about John the Baptist is that he preached a message that would most likely be the most unpopular message in any church in America today. John preached repentance. John preached repentance. John says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he says, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That was John's message. And what's even more interesting is that the Gospels tell us that with this very impossible message, scores of people were coming out to be baptized by him in repentance in preparation for the coming Messiah. Even the opponents of Jesus, the Pharisees were coming to him, and, and John definitely chided them, but even they were coming out to get baptized in these waters of repentance. Friends, hear me. There is no method. There is no strategy. There is no event. There is no local church that is more effective at saving souls than the proclamation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel is simply this, repent and believe on the one who has died and lives again, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We cannot and we will not top that. I'll say it again, we cannot and we will not top that. John knew this and was faithful to this until his end. And for this reason, Jesus proclaimed that, God, that John was greater than any human before him. Friends, proclaim Jesus without reservation. Proclaim Jesus, for this is the mission of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of which we are all a part. Now, again, I understand, rightfully so, that this is a very daunting task as you think about I know the wheels are turning you're thinking about the coworker at work that you haven't shared Jesus with you're thinking about the neighbor that you, I, I understand and that's good um, I would love to offer you a little piece of help a tool that will be helpful 
if you'll go to that next slide for me, Emily. Alpha is um, our sister church, Trinity, down the road, is actually going to embark on this six-week journey through this, this um, event, this thing called Alpha. And what this is, is an opportunity for you to invite people who may not have a relationship with Jesus yet, or may have had a relationship and walked away or wrestling with questions. It's an opportunity to provide an atmosphere for them to ask questions, to hear some talks, and just in every way for Jesus to be proclaimed in an environment where people can actually wrestle and get to know him, a safer environment. And so if you're here, you're thinking about somebody that you think would be great to invite, go ahead and and, um, shoot me an email. Or if you're here and you're saying that you'd like to be um, involved in volunteering, I'll be volunteering as well. Just shoot me an email, leon at redeemeratl.org. And this is an opportunity, friends, for us to proclaim Jesus in a way that people will hear. Amen? Amen? And if, if you're here this morning, you, you're, you're thinking maybe, you know, I'm, I'm new to this church thing. I'm not sure where I, I stand with Jesus. I have some questions. You're welcome to, to join this as well. Just go ahead and shoot me an email. Amen? At leon at redeemeratl.org. And I don't know why I feel the need to say this, but if you're here and that's you, please, this is not shame. We're grateful that you are here and we pray that you would use this opportunity to learn about the Lord Jesus Christ because he does love you. Amen? And he is here for you. Amen. And so the first thing we do, brothers and sisters, to be on mission for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, first thing, like John, we proclaim Jesus without reservation. The second thing we do, friends, is we make disciples. We make disciples. And this may seem a little bit redundant, right? Like I'm saying the same thing twice, but proclaiming Jesus or sharing the gospel is not the same as making disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? One of the things I've learned about John the Baptist in my study is that though he existed in the wilderness, in the desert, he did not do so alone. John was not apart from community when he was in the desert. We know this because John had disciples. He had disciples. And it's pretty clear that these disciples, he taught them from the scriptures. He taught them really well from the scriptures about the coming Messiah. And what's cool about John's disciples is this, is that John taught them so well that once John showed them Jesus, what'd they say? Deuces. Once John showed them Jesus, they said, oh, got it. Thanks for everything you did, John. That's him. Thank you. And they took off following Jesus. This is what it says in verse 36 and 37. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. That's it. That's it. There he is, and there they go. Friends, the role of the church and our role as followers of Christ is to make disciples of Jesus, which means that we teach people about Jesus so that they know how to recognize him and follow him for themselves. In John 3.30, John the Baptist puts it this way. He said, he must become greater and I must become less. In other words, friends, John's disciples were not meant to follow John forever. John was not the end. They followed John as he led them to Jesus. As the big C church, 
as the Little C Church here at Redeemer and as Christians, our job is not for people to be committed to us. Not for people to be committed to how great we are and the very specific way we do things. Our job is to help people see how great Jesus is and to show them how to follow him faithfully. So that whenever the choice is between anything or anyone and Jesus, it's a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer. It's Jesus all day. It's Jesus all day. But the question I want to ask us today, two questions in closing, is this. Are you being discipled? And the reason I ask that question is because it's kind of hard to make disciples if you're not a disciple yourself. If you're not being discipled. So the question is, are you being discipled? Are you in a discipleship group? Are you in transparent and edifying relationships with older saints, same age saints, younger saints, Christians, single Christians, married Christians who can point you to Jesus? And then the second question then is, if the answer is yes, then are you making disciples? Are you actively making disciples right now? Are you in any intentional relationships through which you're teaching someone else about following Jesus? Shameless plug, um, discipleship groups are a great place to engage in both of these kinds of relationships. Um, if you are interested, Patrick, if you'll raise your hand. Patrick Colts, um, Jillian, see Patrick, keep your hands raised in case people look around. Patrick and Jillian, if you're interested, they are our volunteer discipleship group coordinators. Please see them. They will be sure to get you into a group where you can engage in this process, this very intentional process of discipleship. Brothers and sisters, hear this. The mission of the church the mission of the Church Universal, the mission of Redeemer Community Church, the mission of everyone who is called by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is to proclaim Jesus to this watching and dying world and to make disciples of those people. Amen? So the question is, friends, how are we doing? How are we doing? at proclaiming Jesus without reservation? How are we doing at making disciples? Today's an opportunity to evaluate that and to ask the Lord, ask for us to ask the Lord to show us where we can participate in this work. Maybe it's Alpha. Maybe it's the plethora of people that went through your mind when you, talk, when you thought about talking about Jesus to someone. But let's make the Let's make the decision today that we are going to be a part of this mission. We are going to be on mission. Let's pray together, friends. Dear Lord, I thank you so much again for your word. And my God, I do pray that you would so impassion us for people, for people, that we want to see them thriving in relationship with you, in relationship with others, and so that we would endeavor to go out and proclaim you, Lord, without reservation, to make disciples of all peoples, all nations, even as you 
command us, Lord. Lord, I pray against any condemnation that may rest on any, any person. I pray that instead you will replace that with the spirit of invitation. And Lord, we give you the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.